Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Sharon Hennepin from Breast Cancer Advocates International is my guest on today's podcast. She is a 26-year breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in 1993 at the age of 40. Sharon talks about her personal breast cancer experience, as well as co-founding Breast Friends, which is a nonprofit organization to help other women going through breast cancer, as well as a teaching resource for family and friends on how to support those going through breast cancer. More recently, Sharon has co-founded Breast Advocates International to support women in underserved countries. Take a listen in as Sharon shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Sharon Hennepin. She is a 20-year breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in 1993 with stage 3 breast cancer. She is also the co-founder of Breast Friends, which has been along for around for a long time. And she is also the recent co-founder of Breast Advocates International. So welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I want to hear about all of it. Um, so, you know, first I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and then, you know, let's talk about breast friends and then, you know, kind of what you're involved in now. I mean, you, you really, 26 years, first of all, I have to say is amazing. And I know that people, um, you know, our listeners are totally going to be inspired um, by the fact that you have survived this, um, you know, for 26 years. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, I feel very blessed, that's for sure. So um, just to kind of give you a little background, um, I uh, had just turned 40 when I was diagnosed. And being perfectly honest, back then, um, there weren't nearly the resources that they are that that are available now. Um, and uh, 
what the the only people I knew who had had breast cancer were way 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 older than I was um like grandmas basically and I was still raising kids at home and uh uh unfortunately all of those had also passed so uh it was pretty grim when I first was diagnosed it was uh, very very scary as it is still today um to be diagnosed yeah so in terms of, I mean, 26 years ago, you know, that was 1993. I don't know what the um, standards were back then, but was it, you know, was the recommendation for people to have mammograms at the age of 40? Luckily, my my uh, doctors, I actually had several before I had turned 40. Okay. My, my lump actually didn't even show up on a mammogram. I'd had a mammogram four months before I found my own lump. And I had this funny little twinge pain, and I kind of went, ow, you know, and I poked at it. And, and uh, unfortunately, there was a little lump there, and I poked at it for a few days and finally decided it's probably not supposed to be there. So <laughs> I went to my doctor, and, and uh, I remember laying on the exam table, looking up into his eyes as he's doing his breast exam. And I remember his words were saying, oh, it's probably nothing, you know, but let's just get it out of there just to make sure. Famous last words. I swear. Uh Famous last words. (laughs) Exactly. But see, his eyes weren't telling me that. That's what really... I guess spoke to me more than more than the words. And sure enough, that was on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, I had a lumpectomy. Unfortunately, I did not have clean margins. And so the following Tuesday, I had a mastectomy. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a very, very quick thing. Um, and it was probably good that that happened because it was a very aggressive, fast-growing tumor, uh, estrogen positive. And unfortunately, it, uh, yeah, it was stage two. It was not in my lymph nodes, thank the good Lord. But at the same time, it still um, had already opened up and was, you know, walking around. So right. I ended up with a, a mastectomy and then they put the inflators in immediately. Okay. And then um, in a few weeks, I went ahead and started my chemotherapy for six months. So when you talk about inflators, I think of like the expanders. Is that yeah, what they were using? Thing. Okay. Okay. I wasn't yeah, yeah. really quite sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I figured, yeah, but thing. okay. So then you did the chemotherapy and then you also, were you doing the expansion process at the same time as chemotherapy or did they? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was because I did this, the surgery part so quickly that, you know, I had to heal. And then every couple of weeks I would go in and get a, um, a little dose of <laughs> pump me up a little bit. Yeah. That's what I always said. It was like a, yep. and a then fill me to up. The chemo at the same time. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I'm assuming that after that you had, um, reconstruction, with yes. implants? Yes. Is that okay? I did. Okay. Yes. And then I was I was off work about eleven months altogether. And I think the the one of the hard pieces that um I faced back then was nobody was talking about chemo brain um back then and how it really did affect your cognitive ability. 
And I remember going back to work after being off for 11 months thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't think I can even do this. I mean, I couldn't remember my passwords. I couldn't, you know, it was just I I just tried to keep my head down and, and, you know, tried to you know, hope they didn't notice that I didn't have a clue what was going on (laughs) for a while there. So it was awful. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's the, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, there are so many resources and there's so much more information now, even compared to, you know, 13 years ago when I was diagnosed, but 26 years ago, you know, I can't even imagine um, yeah. you know, the lack of resources and the lack of conversations. I mean, I still feel like there yeah. are many pieces of the conversation that are missing at this point, but we certainly have gotten better. Um, you know, definitely so, we have, yeah, <laughs> Thank but I'm so sorry that you had to, you know, kind of try to hide something. Um, and I would imagine there were probably, probably was a lack of understanding on your part in terms of, you know, why, like, what is, what has changed? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I had no idea. I just, I just felt like there was definitely something wrong with me. And I just hoped, you know, my boss didn't figure it out before I did, you know, <laughs> at that point. I, uh, but luckily, you know, it comes back. Thank goodness. After, after the chemo is kind of out of your system for a while and, and you start using your brain again and you build up your stamina and all those things. Um, you know, luckily pretty much come back, but boy, oh boy, I I remember that was definitely a low point for sure. You know, you go from, you know, I was, I was fortunate to be able to be off because I'd had many years with the, with the same company. So I had some uh, great long-term and short-term benefits, um, which was great from a financial place. But unfortunately I found myself very lonely because my support system was at work because again, I was a working mom. So, so it was, it was challenging to be gone from that work environment for that many months. And, um, and, you know, people, People didn't really know what to say or what to do, and and so they didn't do much of anything. And that was one of the reasons that we started Breast Friends a few years later, because it was very obvious that people would say things like, oh, call me if you need something, but unfortunately... Um, as women, we're horrible at oh, asking my gosh. for help. <laughs> we are terrible <laughs> at asking for help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of what happened when we, uh, you know, started um, thinking about what was missing in the breast cancer arena. We really talked a lot about the friends and family really need to understand how best to support a woman who's going through cancer. And so what happened was my, um, my doctor, uh, the one who diagnosed me, he actually called me and said, would you mind talking to a few of my patients? And um, one thing led to another, and, and he was a plastic surgeon. So I ended up um, helping uh, by, by meeting with some of his patients that were really concerned about the mastectomy and the, the inflation process and all of that. And um, so we would meet in coffee shops and we would talk about everything imaginable about going through cancer. And then pretty soon I would, 
um, say, do you just want to see what they look like? And then we would go in the bathroom and I'd play show and tell. And, and you know, what, what I found is I had, had really suppressed my own emotions through the whole cancer experience. And so by talking to other women and sharing my experience, I absolutely was able to grieve and think about the things I was actually saying out loud. And, and I was able to process a lot of my own emotions as well as allowing them to, to process their emotions throughout this whole process. So it ended up being a very um, important learning for me. Then several years later, my girlfriend was diagnosed um, with cancer that I worked with, and I knew how hard it was going to be for her to be away from work, to, you know, not have friends and family understand where she was um, coming from during this whole process. So I ended up kind of spearheading, trying to make sure that she didn't feel so alone like I did when I was gone from work. <clears throat> and uh, in that process, just little things. I mean, I didn't do anything big. Uh, just sending an email, you know, like once a week with her name, address, phone number, and kind of an update. Oh, and yeah. she would get cards and, you know, she'd get just phone calls and just people kind of keeping her front of the mind um, rather than, oh, she's gone and kind of forgotten. Out, out of <laughs> so, sight, out of mind. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd take her a, a milkshake on chemo days because I know she couldn't really handle uh, much more than that um, after she got done with her chemotherapy, stuff like that, little, right. little things. Yeah. So, so when did, um, when did Breast Friends, so was this before Breast Friends officially started that you kind of oh, yeah. did that? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I yeah. mean, it really was, I mean, it sounds, first of all, like a very powerful experience for you. Um you know, just kind of working through some of those things that you had suppressed. Um, yes. You know, but, and I, I really love the fact that, you know, you just found that there was something missing and I always feel like that's how things start, right? You know, it's, there's something missing, but I'm, I'm curious, did they have any kind of support groups that were running at that point in time? Well, I think the hospitals might have had okay. something at that point. But again, I was not in a position to to even look for them. I didn't you, you kind of when you don't know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> I mean, so you don't even know what's out there. You don't even know. And, and again, um, they they I don't know that they were as a, effective as they are now. Um, so. After a few years, after Becky got better, um, then we had lunch because she had another scare. And over that lunch is where we came up with the concept of breast friends, that the friends and family really needed to be taught how to how to be a good support system during, uh, you know, something like a, a cancer diagnosis. And then um, what was funny about it was she loves the stage. This woman can get on the stage with a microphone and she's spellbinding. <laughs> and I like the one-on-one, -on -one, the small groups, you know, that kind of thing, more so than a big stage. So what was funny is 
that was kind of her vision of breast friends was more the, you know, more grandiose kind of thing. And I was more that one-on-one girl. So what was funny is breast friends ended up being all of that. Um, it was just kind of two sides of the same coin. And so we were able to build this organization that we um, were able to teach the friends, the friends and family, and we still are actually, as well as doing a lot of one-on-ones and um, workshops and retreats and um, making really a difference in a woman's life so she can understand it was okay that she was scared that her cancer might come back or, you know, that, that yeah, she's going to have to deal with some of these side effects for a little while and it's okay. She's not odd or different or, you know, nothing's wrong. It's just kind of the way it is. And um, answering a lot of really important questions, including those ones you were probably alluding to, like, you know, the sex thing and <laughs> all of this, all of the aspects around a cancer diagnosis, treatment, and the aftermath right. many years later. Well, and I think, um, you know, yes, first of all, um, Many of those topics, as you just mentioned, um, sex being one of them, um, isn't really discussed. But I think a, a bigger part of any cancer diagnosis that's really missing is working with the support system, working with the caregivers, yeah. knowing what they yeah. need to do, um, you know, being able to help them help the survivor the best that they can. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, I love that you guys recognized that that was a concern and, you know, really picked that up and, and ran with it. So, you know, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a great resource to be able to direct people and say, you know, maybe they're not talking about that at your hospital or the facility where you're being treated, but here's an organization that is going to help with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we were very, um, you know, like you said, this is our 20th year. Um, We started in 2000, so it's pretty hard to believe it's been 20 years. But, um, you know, we've we've really reached um, and made a difference in so many women throughout the country, but mostly in the Oregon, Washington area. But we actually have several programs that that really um, span the whole United States. So, yeah. If somebody somebody needs us, we're going to be there for you for sure. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I just it's a lot. I mean, to really genuinely take on as two people, <laughs> and I'm sure over the course of time it expanded. Um, you know, but you know, Definitely. as yeah. two people just kind of <laughs> taking on that daunting task. Um, you know, that's that's amazing. You know, you really kind of well, we led the way we loved it and and one one thing we found is you know you end up doing this kind of in the back of your cars and in your garages and all of that for for several years and then we were able to um in in 2006 i was able to leave my full-time job and becky was able to leave her full-time job and we actually got a tiny little salary you know and luckily we have had both very very supportive husbands that supported us in in what we were doing and and obviously something like this is not a a thing you're going to make a lot of money doing but at the same time um you know it grew to the place where you know we actually could pull an income out of it and 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 do the work that i feel like we were 
you know, God has put us on this earth to do. So I felt very blessed to do it. Yeah. So how long were you, I mean, well, so technically you've retired from Breast Friends, but you're still involved. So how long were you kind of, you know, in the trenches there with um, Breast Friends? I just left in um, August of this oh, wow. last year. Okay. Yeah, just just last August, yeah. 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 And so then you kind of transitioned over into something else, um, you know, which we kind of talked about a little bit at the the top of the show is, um, you know, the Breast Advocates International. So tell me a little bit about why, you know, that was founded and a little bit about that organization. Thank you. I'd be happy to. So, so what happened was last February, a very good friend of mine who's an RN, um, uh, we had breakfast one morning and she was just telling me this kind of passion project that she'd been doing on her own. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And what she was telling me is that she'd gone to several um, underserved countries um, and basically taught how to do breast self exams as well as clinical breast exams and teaching the women how to navigate the health system and to be able to use those kinds of skills so they can help the rural ladies um, find lumps sooner. So places like Malawi, Africa, there's a hundred percent mortality. Basically, if you get diagnosed oh, with cancer, you're going to die, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so until um, until they really understand how important doing self breast exams are, because they don't places like Malawi, for instance, do not have a stable electricity grid to be able to support a mammography machine, even if they had the money to get one. Right. Um, I mean, I just imagine the resources are extremely limited. Exactly. And so they just, they don't have any sort of early detection. Um, And so then this at least gives them the opportunity to um, find their own lump or have, you know, go to a woman in the, in the villages that have been trained to do breast exams clinically and then be able to refer them properly so they can, they can get a biopsy if necessary, if they do find a suspicious lump. So anyway, she was telling me all about this and my mind was just like going crazy. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is fabulous because I've really taken to doing a lot of traveling. Now, I've never been to places like Africa, but but I've loved my, my many trips to Europe and different places. And so um, I'm thinking... This is so cool, but why are you telling me all of, I mean, to such detail, right? And she said, because I really want you to help me with this. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) I just imagine you, and to be quite honest with you, you know, or our listeners, I have never met Sharon in person, but just the vibe that I'm getting from you right now, I imagine that you would just be like, I love passion projects. <laughs> I am in. <laughs> yep. Like if it is something that really touches your heart, I imagine that you are just all in. Um, that is just the vibe I'm getting from you. And I love it. Yeah, well, that is who I am, I guess. I cannot I cannot deny that. So <laughs> 
when when we had that conversation, I'm I'm like, so how are you funding this? What do you you know? Of course, I'm coming from almost 20 years in in nonprofit where you do have to do fundraising and all of this. And she's like, I've just basically paid for it myself. Wow. And I'm like, what oh are my you goodness. So I, I talk about a passion project, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, honey, you know, the first thing we got to do is make an, it a nonprofit. So last April, we got our 501c. Um, so we are an official nonprofit. And so then I've just kind of tried to help get that infrastructure really um, established so we can do the fundraising necessary so the bank of Melissa can close. <laughs> <laughs> so we unfortunately were we were going to go to my first trip to Malawi. Um, Melissa would have been her third trip to Malawi in March, but because of the coronavirus, we are not able to do that, unfortunately. But um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to reschedule it for October. Um, the, how the program works is it's we go to a particular country three times. And by the third year, we're able to train the trainers so then they can continue the program um, and make it sustainable that way. And then we will then go on to another country um, who, who has invited us to come and, and share what, share our knowledge, I guess. So how are you connecting with these countries? Like, I'm just thinking, um, you know, I mean, obviously it's a, it's, you know, three years is, is, you know, quite a long time, um, that you're going to commit to one country. And I think that's fantastic. And one of my questions was going to be about expansion, <laughs> you know, because there yeah. are so many countries that are just underserved and just so many exactly. populations that don't have the resources that we have. And, you know, I mean, I even think about Mexico. I mean, there are parts of Mexico where the women there that, you know, they don't even have many of the resources that we have here in the States more than Malawi, um, you know, but not as much here. So how exactly, how are you making those connections with those countries um, to be able to say, you know, bring us in, um, you know, first of all, I think there has to be that level of trust, right? Um, you know, bring us in and allow us to do this. So how are those connections happening? Okay, so for instance, we have probably seven or eight or maybe even up to a dozen invitations already from other wow. countries. So, That's so that part hasn't been a problem. Um, Clearly not. <laughs> but again, part of it is you need to make sure you're getting like the World Health Organization. Yes. Um, many times you, you work through the archdiocese, um, through a lot of the, the big either religious organizations or government organizations are the ones that actually can bring you in to do something like this. So what we are trying to accomplish, and unfortunately, our, our little coronavirus uh, has put a little bit of a damper on it. But, but at the same time, we are wanting to train teams. Um, so to shadow Melissa and I, as we go into Malawi, for instance, if we're able to go in October and then be able to then set 
some of these other teams of um, advocates and, and perhaps an RN uh, to go to these other countries. So that, I mean, we, we definitely plan on scaling it um, probably won't happen now until next year, sure. but that's our, that's our hope is we'll be able to scale that way. We'll be able to take a group in and then they'll be able to take care of the next couple years and then we will go on to the next one train another group and so on and so forth so i'm just kind of curious um in terms of so you know say a woman finds a lump goes and has the clinical evaluation you know yes there's a lump goes for a biopsy do they have the tools and the resources to do mastectomies um you know, to do them effectively, to offer, you know, chemotherapy. Like I'm just imagining, you know, I'm just kind of curious, what resources do they actually have available to them? So no chemotherapy, no radiation. So okay. their option, their option is a mastectomy if they get a positive result from a um a biopsy. Now, again, you got to remember the financial or the economic situation of these countries. So for instance, for us, um, uh, a biopsy is in, in their country is eight American dollars. But and that that sounds so cheap, right? It does, but the conversion that's that's, you (laughs) know that's um, a week and a half of their work. You know, I mean, it's not a cheap. It's not. It's not inexpensive for them. And so, um, and, and transportation is a huge barrier because, especially when you're talking in these rural communities, um, it may be four to six hour um, car ride from um, a village to a hospital and no one has a car. <laughs> right. So, Walking obviously is pretty difficult or impossible. So, so there's lots of barriers. There's cultural barriers. There's financial barriers. There's transportation barriers. There's all sorts of things that you have to work around. And, and again, um, there's, there's in places like Malawi, they still even believe in witchcraft, things that are a little out of my comfort zone, but they, you know, they're almost like you've been, you've been like a spell has been put on you if you have cancer, yes. you know, that mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It, there are many just, cultures that still have that belief. Exactly. So you're dealing with a lot of that sort of thing as well, that we need to um, empower the women in a, in a, in a community or a country like this. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing work. I mean, I just, I'm pretty much in awe right now. Oh, bless <laughs> um, your heart. I well, just... we, we're, we need help, so you're <laughs> welcome to join forces, girl. <laughs> well, I, my husband would be like, how many passion projects are you going to do? <laughs> I love it. I know. So, I mean, really, from one passion project person to another, I totally get you. <laughs> good. Okay. Um, so, you know, if somebody... I don't know any nonprofits that are like, no, we don't want your money. Um, obviously, there's <laughs> <Nope>. fundraising <laughs> that, um, you know, that has to happen. So, you know, if somebody wants to donate, can they just go to the website? Um, and Absolutely. Okay. And is Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's basically www.breastadvocates.org. Okay. 
Yeah. And then that money just goes to helping support you guys in the mission of basically saving the lives of these underserved populations. Absolutely. Yeah. Giving them an opportunity. Um, It's interesting because I actually had an opportunity to chat with um, Miss Malawi, like 2002. So she's, you know, in her early 40s or late, late 30s. And she's a two-time breast cancer survivor already. And, you know, she lives, of course, in a bigger city, um, not not the rural areas that we're talking about. But it's crazy. It's mostly young women that are being diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's partially because of the diet, the American diet that's coming to those countries. My husband and I I talk about the American diet. All yeah, the time. I know it. <laughs> He's like, we have to it's move. It's frightening. It's frightening. <laughs> oh, it's terrifying. You know? but, it is terrifying. Yeah. And that makes mm-hmm. me horribly sad that, you know, it has transitioned from here to other places, um, you know, and, and the health, you know, just the impact from that diet change, um, you know, is yep. is awful. I mean, I, I, yep. I can't imagine. That's a whole nother show. I yeah. Know. <laughs> I, and uh, yeah, I'm trying really hard not to go too far down into a rabbit hole, which I totally could because I am very big into health and diet and yes. all of that stuff. So yeah. maybe we'll save that for another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, um, I just want to thank you so much for being a part of the show, you know, sharing, first of all, your story and, you know, I, I want to say as, you know, one survivor to another, and, you know, you've definitely been in this much longer than I have, but I, I thank you for leading the way. And I thank you for being somebody who recognized that there was something missing so early on, um, you know, in your diagnosis and so many years ago that really has helped so many people. And I have no doubt that the lives that you have impacted are thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So I thank you. Thank you. Um, and the work that you're doing is amazing. Thank you, dear. I appreciate it. it it's been, you got to be careful what you wish for sometimes. You know, sometimes you, <laughs> that's true. I, I, you know, you, you pray for, oh, I, I want to c- continue in the breast cancer world and I love to travel. Boom. <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> that's right. Sometimes if you put it out into the universe, it happens. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, thank you so much. It's been wonderful being on your show. It has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.